Thank you, guys. Praise God. Yes. Um, man, you guys, uh, you guys okay tonight? You having a good night so far? Good day? It's been a good day? Cool, man. I'm going to go ahead and uh, preach a sermon real quick. Uh, <laughs> um, man, uh, I love Wednesday nights, man. I love getting to worship with you guys. I love getting to fill this room with uh, voices talking about how great our God is. Um, if you are new, man, or if you've been gone for a while, we are going through the book of Luke. Uh, so flip there. We're going to be in chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you, um, and, uh, and pull that thing out. I had a good week. Uh, a cool thing happened on Monday. Uh, my wife is pregnant. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and on Monday, yeah, you know, you know, you know. It's, all right, five, six people, cool, thanks. It's just bringing life into the world, no big deal. Um, so we found out the gender of our baby, and we are having a baby boy, which is so fun. So we have a son already, Charlie, and so now we're going to have a couple of brothers that we get to raise and a couple of young men that hopefully we, by the grace of God, get to raise into godly men. And uh, it was awesome. It's, it's this cool thing, and we've gone through this process before, uh, but on Monday we go into the doctor's office and they put all this goo on my wife's tummy and they take this little machine and they look for and the little baby and the little fetus swimming around in there and uh and then we see it on the screen and we see this little this little guy uh squirming around in there and it's incredible to see and uh we're watching this and they're like oh yeah there and then there you see is tiny little penis there it is <laughs> and they take a picture of it and they print it out and there it was a little penis I just, said, I just said penis twice on stage at Christ Chapel. And three times because I described saying penis, so that's four. This is going to be on the recording. This is going to be on the podcast. I wonder if the word penis has ever been said from the stage, if you think about it. Have you ever said it? No, Josh? Once. Okay, Josh said it once, so never mind. Um, here's the thing, right? Uh, we find out our, our baby's a boy, and it's been really interesting since Monday. You know, we knew we were having a baby, but now since Monday, there's kind of this new thing happening where all of a sudden my son has a little bit more of his identity, right? I, I realize he's now a son. I now have a son um, that we're bringing into this world. And so it's amazing how it kind of changes my heart in this preparation phase because before it was just this generic life that we were getting to bring in, and now there's more definition, and now there's just a little bit more of a picture that all of a sudden, just since Monday afternoon, all of a sudden I start going to, okay, I'm, what's it going to be like to raise two brothers, and they're going to fight, and I was one of two brothers, and so, okay, I know how that kind of works, and, and thinking about, man, Little League, and all, you know, all of those things, my mind starts going there, and I'm, we've talked, we talk about a lot, I'm kind of ruined by it, right? All of a sudden I have these, this new information, I have this new picture of who this baby is, and it starts to shape even me, and it starts to shape my experiences, and it starts to shape my expectations and how I'm going to, to prepare for this life, having a son now in this world, and uh, it's exciting, and, and I think my hope, my prayer, our prayer as a church is that that's what happens with this word of God, right, that we look a little closer at Jesus, and, and on a night like tonight, we open up his word and we preach his word and we get a little bit more of a picture of who Jesus is and how he loves people and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in doing that, it starts to shape our expectations of one day meeting this king of ours, one day meeting this savior of ours. It starts to shape how we go through our life because we're starting to have more and more of an understanding 
This is who our God is. This is how our God calls us to act. And so it's with that expectation, that prayer, that, um, man, I hope that you get changed tonight. I hope that you hear this. I hope that the Lord changes my heart during the preaching of this sermon. And a little bit more, I get chiseled away. And a little bit more, I get focused in on this is the heart of my creator. This is the designer, my designer. This is who he is. This is what he calls me, how he calls me to function. How could I not let that affect my attitude and my expectations throughout the day and every moment? And so um, it's with that perspective that we're going to jump into chapter 19. And man, we're just going to tackle this whole chapter tonight, um, and we're going to see what God does. So 19 verse 1, we're just going to be in 1 through 10 in this first section here. So verse 1 starts this way. He entered Jericho, referring to Jesus, and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, and they, referring to all the religious people around him, all the Pharisees, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's unpack this. Let's unpack this narrative that we see, beginning of 19. Uh, This is what's happening. I want us to try this evening to wrap our minds around how scandalous what just happened was. Uh, We've got Jesus Uh, We've got this God incarnate that we know and believe now, but we've got him walking through this culture, people worshiping, people say, Pharisees really trying to figure out if this guy really is the chosen one, the Messiah, the one that they've been expecting, all this crowd around him, people, everyone around. And then you've got Zacchaeus, and he's a tax collector. If you were here maybe uh, four or six weeks ago, uh, Josh preached a a topic that had this idea of a tax collector in it, and I loved how Josh... um, describe what a tax collector would be like in our culture. And he talked about a tax collector would maybe be the equivalent of, uh, of someone who was loyal to ISIS in this room, right? Somebody who was loyal to ISIS uh, and, and they were you know, a fan and they were promoting and they were, they were raising money for ISIS so that ISIS could oppress the rest of us in this room. That's what's happening. A tax collector wasn't just a sinner, right? A tax collector was someone who had betrayed his own people and was working for the government that was oppressing his people, right? Rome's in power, they're oppressing the Jewish people, and so a tax collector is a Jew who's saying, man, I wanna get rich, so I'm going to exploit my people, I'm going to work for Rome, this occupying force that's persecuting these people, my friends, my families, my neighbors, I'm gonna steal from them, take their money, and I'm gonna give it to their enemies. That was a tax collector. So with that context, Jesus Christ seeing a tax collector, a top dog tax collector, and say, you, you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pursue. You, I am inviting myself over to your house. I'm gonna have fellowship with you. 
So much of the Jewish background was all about holiness and and separating yourself from evil. But here, Jesus does this incredibly scandalous thing. We see it all throughout the New Testament. We see it all throughout the book of Luke. This idea that Jesus keeps going where broken people are. He keeps putting himself in the place of sinners, in the place of, of lepers, in the place of all these people that would have been unholy and unrighteous. And Jesus Christ keeps entering into that brokenness. And this is no different. Jesus initiates. Jesus pursues a sinner and a chief sinner. Can you picture that, right? Can you, can you picture Jesus Christ just bumping shoulders with people and walking through the city, and then he sees Zacchaeus and says, yes, you're the one that I'm gonna have fellowship with. And how all these people around him start grumbling and the religious people are saying, what in the world is he, that's, that's Zacchaeus, that's a sinner, what is he doing, what's happening? They're gossiping about him, they're slandering Jesus, people didn't understand, they're confused. If we don't see, if we don't see this Jesus here in the Bible and are, are, aren't moved by it, picturing this Jesus from the first 10 verses of chapter 19, if we can't see that Jesus and be moved by who Jesus Christ is in that, then we have to ask for fresh eyes. Then tonight we have to say, Lord, give me fresh eyes to see this. Maybe this is a story that you guys have heard, right? Those of you who grew up in the church and I started talking about Zacchaeus being short in stature and climb up in a sycamore tree and you start singing a song and it's a horrible song, right? And and it's, it's just become white noise. Yeah, yeah, Jesus is good, right? We know, we grew up in this, we've heard this. We've become immune to how powerful this picture is. And we've kind of stayed in our Sunday school faith and said, yeah, yeah, this is a big deal. If this doesn't move us the way Jesus interacted with this sinner, then we need to ask for fresh eyes. And I'm envious of those in this room who have no clue what I'm talking about when I bring up the idea of a Zacchaeus song. And you're saying, what? There's a Zacchaeus song? Sounds like a lame song. It is. (laughs) It's a very lame song. And you're blessed for not knowing it. Um, But... But my hope and my envy is that you might be able to come at this with fresher eyes than someone like me who's just grown up and has become a white noise and I've got to fight against that sin and those scales that are on my eyes when I read and hear the word of God. That is our Jesus. He goes and pursues and engages and initiates with sinners. He invites them. He didn't wait for Zacchaeus to repent. He invited himself over and said, you and I we're doing this thing. We are gonna have fellowship together. I'm gonna put myself in your house, in your life. That's scandalous. And maybe tonight, maybe tonight you showed up in this place. Maybe you're dragged here. Maybe you were forced to go here. Maybe you lost a bet, whatever. You came to this place and, and maybe you are just climbing the tree, right? You're climbing the tree to check out Jesus. You're not really sure You hear the buzz, you've been sold a version of them, you've seen a version of them that you weren't super satisfied with, you kind of maybe tried that game before, but you thought, okay, whatever I'm doing right now maybe isn't working great, I'm going to go check this out. And you're here and you're just climbing a tree and saying, okay, let me see, let me see what this Jesus thing is about. And I love that you're here tonight. I love that you're here tonight. It is not an accident that you're here tonight. And I think... Man, I want, I believe the Holy Spirit is poking at your heart tonight saying, you, yeah, you just thought you were coming to check this thing out, maybe meet some new people, maybe make some new friends and check a box that says, hey, look, I did a Christian thing in the middle of the week. And the Holy Spirit is poking you saying, no, you, I see you, you're in the tree checking me out, 
you and I are going to do this. I want more of you. That is the Jesus that you're getting close to tonight. And it is scary, and it'll ruin your life in a really, really, really awesome way. It's what we're designed for. And maybe that's where you're at tonight. And maybe you're kind of checking this thing out. And maybe he's inviting you into his world and he's inviting himself into your world and he's revealing to you that he is better. And tonight, through worship, through scripture, through the Holy Spirit's tug poking at you saying, hey, I am better. I am better than the idols that you worship. I'm better than the things that you try to find your satisfaction in. I'm better than your singleness. I'm better than your job. I'm better than your money. I'm better than your earthly achievements. I'm better than than any approval you could get from any other person. I'm better, and I have something better for you. He is standing in your living room, and he has entered into your life. And so what is your response? What is our response? Those who are believers in this room, as he stands in our life and says, I am better than all of those other things, what is our response? Look look at verse 8. Look how Zacchaeus responded, right? Remember, Zacchaeus stood after Jesus had pursued him, he didn't get cleaned up for Jesus pursued him while he was a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. This guy repents. This guy doesn't just repent in like a, hey, man, I like you. I'm going to start, I'm going to start coming around like once a week to be around you, Jesus. This guy says, I see what I'm doing and I wanna run the other way. I'm changing my mind about my lifestyle and the choice and I'm running the other way because I see that you are better. Thank you for loving me and calling. You are better than that. And his repentance is the kind of repentance that, I mean, it makes waves, right? Let's not sell his repentance short. He's gonna give away half and then he's gonna pay fourfold back from people he stole so that's like all of his money, right? And then some, right? Like he's going broke because he realizes Christ is so much better. And there is this beautiful, beautiful repentance. And then Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. He repents. He realizes that what I'm chasing and what I'm going for is not working. And he says, you are better. I'm gonna turn from that. And he believes that Christ is better. He repents and he believes that is radical. That is radical. And that, that gospel, that gospel that he was far, Christ entered and drew near and called him to follow and that he did, that gospel, that good news that's offered, man, that is available to everyone in this room. That is not only available, that is what every one of us, including me, need in this room tonight. We need that tonight. He has stepped into our crap, and he has said, I love you where you're at, but I I love you too much to leave you here. Come and follow me. Turn from that. And that is to the most varsity Christian in this room, the staff person who went to Bible college and does all the right things, that is the gospel that they need to hear tonight and repent and believe even more and say, Lord, how, have I, how might I return to you more? How might I, would you show me the dark areas of my heart that I could apply this gospel that you are better and you are better and that you are my only chance? How can that varsity Christian in this room, which is a, a bogus concept, but just go with me, to the person who is maybe so far from the Lord here tonight, 
That is what we need to hear, all of us. The only person that will not be able to hear this tonight is the self-righteous person. The only person that will hear this and say and think, yeah, this, that's, of course, man, I got that when I was nine. Right? I got that when I was a kid and I went to vacation Bible school or my parents walked me through this. I, got, I already got that step. Um, they're gonna miss. They're gonna miss what Jesus calls us to in a constant sanctification process that is rooted. The only growth we have, the only chance for growth we have is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are dead without him, and he has entered that and been the perfect sacrifice and said, I'm gonna pay for all of that. Because I love you, just repent and follow me. And it is by grace through faith in that Lord that we're saved. So would we not fall into that trap? Do you see? Do you believe that? Do we see the story of Zacchaeus in 10 verses and Can we step into that? Can we apply that to our life tonight? Can we say, man, that is a radical way that our God loves us. That is scandalous how our God loves us. I am undeserving. That is gracious how our God loves us. Jesus loves perfectly. I am humbled by that. I am challenged by that. Do we see that? Do we believe that? I feel like like we could just stop there, right? We could just wrap things up right there, but I... I want us to go into this next section. And I think this next passage in scripture, um, I think it actually connects beautifully. Uh, I think it's going to challenge what we see in the first 10 verses and challenge an application of that truth. We see Christ's beautiful love in the first 10 verses, but do we love others like this? Have we been people that receive the idea of, okay, well now go and do likewise. So look at this parable and and then I'm gonna connect them. So verse 11. Verse 11 in chapter 19, it says this. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minus. And a minus is about a hundred, it's about a, a day's wage. It's about a hundred days wages, all right? So it's this big chunk of money. Here it's symbolism just to talk about the responsibility that they're given. So he gives these 10 servants 10 minas and then, and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has been made 10 more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is my mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given. 
But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Big chunk, right? Maybe off the top, you're thinking, how does this connect to Zacchaeus, the wee little man? How does this tie in with that? Um, first observation I want to point out. I don't want to brush past this. Um, our king is not messing around. Our king is not messing around. God is serious about his kingdom. He is serious about those who have betrayed him. Our king is not messing around. I think so often what we do is we hear the gospel, and I, and I, I recognize the grace of God despite my sin. I recognize the gracious, kind God that I worship. And what I do is I take the truth of the gospel, and I take the truth of grace, and I swing that pendulum so far over. I turn God into like this old, jolly grandpa who's just really nice and can see no wrong, and he's just, he just loves everybody and tolerates everything, and he's got like butterscotch discs in his pocket that he's always handing to kids. And I turn God into this weak, jolly, nice pushover, right? He's a, he, I turn him into a pushover because I take the doctrine of grace and I misapply it and I swing it into this God who's cool with everybody and everything and he's never, and then I read scripture and I realize our God is serious about sin. Our God is serious about those who betray him. It is heavy and it is weighty. And then I look through the lens of grace and then I see this God who has shown me grace and what has he saved me from? He saved me from a life of pursuing these empty wells, right? This life where I'm going to try to find all these other things to find my satisfaction. I'm drinking out of these wells and just sand. He has saved me from that because he is the living water. He is my purpose in that. He has saved me from my own sin. What he has saved me from, though, ultimately, is he has saved me from God's wrath, he saved me from God's wrath that I justly deserve. That's what I'm saved from. Not just from the devil who wants to grab me and pull me. He saved me from God's wrath because that is the just penalty. That is, that is what I deserve. That is what we deserve is God's wrath in our life. And yet Jesus Christ has come and said, no, that wrath be poured on me out of my love for these people. That is love and grace and that is a serious God who takes sin so seriously, but also loves that amazingly. Okay, so what's the point of this parable? This is about stewardship. This parable is about stewardship. You've got these, these servants, and they've been given this responsibility, and the king is gone. And while the king is gone, they're called and asked and told, go, Go and, and, and utilize this and invest this and, and take risks and, and make more. And, and one of them does a great job. One of them does a pretty good job. One of them just hides it. It's about stewardship. What the Lord has given, are you investing? Tonight, ask yourself the question from Scripture. What the Lord has given you, are you investing that? What do we see in the first part of Luke chapter 19? We see the gospel. We see a God who loves so perfectly and has saved. He has come to save and seek the lost. And what do we see in the second part? A God saying, I am going to hold you responsible 
if you are a good steward with what I have given you, if you have been saved, if you've been given the Holy Spirit, if you have entered into and received this gift from God, how are you doing on the mission that he has now called you to be a part of? Are you a good steward with the mission of God? You're saved to glorify God. You're saved. Have you ever thought, uh, Casey and I were talking about this last week, the idea like, okay, we're saved, right? If, if that's a, a change that's happened in your heart and we kind of just stay here, right? We don't poof into space, right? We stay here, we live the rest, we struggle. We, God leaves us here. He doesn't say, oh, you've, you've surrendered to me. Come up here and let's hang out and play foosball. He doesn't do that. That'd be great, but that's not what he does. He says, no, stay and make disciples and love and share this gift with other people. How are you doing as a steward of that mission? We see the gospel, we hear it. How are you doing as a steward of that mission to share that with other people? When the king returns or you go meet him at the end of your life, he's going to ask you, what did you do? Were you faithful with the mission? Were you a good steward of the gifts that I gave you? Are you a, were you a good steward of the resources I gave you? Were you a good steward of the relationships and the favor that I gave you with people? Were you a good steward with the mission that I put you on? That king, that severe king who takes holiness seriously is going to ask us, how'd you do? Did you take risks? Did you invest in things eternal? Did you push the boundaries of my kingdom out more and more and more? Or did you hide it in a handkerchief? Did you hear the gospel and say, man, I'm all in on that thing and say, I'm just gonna live this Christian life kind of between me and Jesus and maybe a small group of other believers and I'm gonna hang out with other Christians and I'm, we're hiding it in a handkerchief when we do that. That should convict us to the core. Brothers and sisters, we're going to be held accountable. Friends in this room, if you know Christ and have been saved, you are commanded to then go and make and love and do likewise. Love others the way he has loved you. We're going to be held accountable to that. So who is your mission field? Tonight, ask yourself. Talk to the Lord. Lord, who is my mission field? I've been called to go. I've been called to love others the way you have loved me. You have, you have given me gifts. You've given me maybe a job where you're interacting with people that you wouldn't normally interact with. You, he's given you resources. He's given you time in your life. What am I doing with what you've given me? What am I doing with my days that you have given me? Am I on mission? Everyone needs that love of Christ. So who in your life do you know, feel that conviction? I've got to love this person better. Uh, here's a really easy one, right? This isn't a plug. We do not want to be in the business of running an event on Wednesday nights. If, if this thing becomes an event, let's pack it up and go home because that's not what I want to spend my life doing is running a Wednesday night worship event. What we want to do is we want to be a part of what God is doing in the city. And so Renovate is all about how can we, the people of God, bring in outsiders and tell them how God loves them not shame them for their sin, but say, God loves you right where you're at. 
Look at this God. Look how he loves. It is scandalous. He loves you no matter who you are in this room, no matter how far you've gone. His love for you is greater than all of your sin. That's the message over and over and over again that happens on Wednesday nights. And the reason why it happens is because it is on every single page of this book we preach. So who are you even inviting into this community? Man, is this kind of a, a time for you and your clique? This is the easiest layup ever. Hey, come to this thing. Ah, oh, man, I got to eat dinner. Oh, there's free food. Uh, but it's good food, right? Like, there's no, it's, it's inviting people into not an event. Ah, oh, my gosh, if this thing becomes an event, woe to us. But a platform for you to do your mission. That's what this is. That is why we desire to work hard to make this a platform that is disarming, that is, that is uplifting of Jesus' name, sticking to his word, to be a platform, not for us to grow our church and pad our egos and our stats for numbers, but a platform for you to do ministry. Invite people into this. We have the freaking coolest inviter cards I've ever seen. They're hipster and cardboard and cool Take those if you don't know how to have a conversation and say, hey, man, there's this thing. I'd love, I'd love for you to come and be in this community. And then don't just stop there. Don't just say, hey, I'm doing the mission because I invite a lot of people to Wednesday Renovate. Do life with them. Bring them along. Use this as a platform and then continue to walk with them. Shepherd them. Love them the way Christ has loved you. And if they won't come, then you go to them. You invite yourself into their world and say, man, I am loving you and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pit bull and, and I'm gonna hound dog you down because that is what God has done in our life. Maybe it's inviting him into a small group of other believers, right? Maybe this is too intimidating and, and you say, man, we just need to invite him into a small group. Maybe it's one-on-one, just saying, hey man, let's, let's spend some time together. What are those relationships that God has given you and are you being a good steward of them? And that's just relationships. That's not even talking about giftings and resources and that's just relationships. Find a way to serve them. And, and let me say, if you're in here and, and you're saying, I don't know. I don't know who that would be. Like, I don't really know if I have anyone. And I don't, yikes. Why not? Let's put ourselves in a place that we can. Let's ask for eyes to be sensitive, to see people who are hurting and in need of this around you. Yikes, if your response is, well, that's good, but I don't, I don't really have that, I don't have those many opportunities, find those opportunities. That is your mission. Go and find those opportunities. Put yourself in a place. Come and serve with us because we got people that are filling out connect cards and showing up and want to get plugged in a small group and we don't know what to do with them all because the harvest is plentiful. So we need help. We are loved, we are called to love others in the name of Christ so that others might repent and believe, man, are you being a good steward with the mission of God? Man, once we see this, my hope, my prayer for my own sinful heart, right? I forget this all the time. I work at a church. I have no excuse, and I forget this. But once I see this, once I see this gospel every day and look at it more and more and more, and then I see this command and this responsibility I have that I'm gonna be held accountable for, and how can I go back to just hiding this thing in a handkerchief? How hateful of me. How hateful of me when I do that. Verse 10 said, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Man, if you are lost in this room, come home. 
If you are in this room and you're hearing this sermon, you're hearing the first part and you're thinking, man, I'm, I was just on the tree checking out Jesus. He is telling you to come home. He is better. And if you are saved in this room, if you're saved in this room, then he's saying, don't waste your mission. Don't waste your mission. Man, let me pray over you. Father, we love you. Um, Lord, would you change our hearts? Lord, would you convict us? Would you take... Would you take these two stories we see in scripture, the story of how Jesus loves so radically, how he pursues broken people, how he calls them to repentance, make no mistake, and he calls them to walk away from the lies that that we find ourselves uh, building our identities in. And then we see this picture of, of this parable. You call us to be good stewards, Lord. You have given this room full of people so many gifts. You've put relationships in our life that you care about. You choose to use us. You don't need us, but still you choose to use us. And woe to us if we're disobedient. Woe to us when we're disobedient. Father, would we be a people that our hearts are stirred by your Holy Spirit, not a sermon, not songs, but by your Holy Spirit, and that our response is obedience and being good stewards of this mission. We love you. Would we love others the way you have loved us? In the name of Jesus, amen.